Today, we're going to turn to the book of Daniel, the book of Daniel chapter 3. We're going to go to a very familiar passage, a very familiar passage. It's about three Hebrew children. In this case, they're, they're older now. They've grown up a little bit, but they've been through some, they've been through some things in their life. These men have already seen the Lord miraculously pull them out of their hometown. I say miraculously because they were saved alive. You see, they were chosen. They were the cream of the crop. They were the ones to be brought to, in this case, Babylon, where they are to be taught in the way of the Chaldeans, where they are taught in the way that they're supposed to live and worship now and how they are expected to take all that back to their people and teach them so they can become part of Nebuchadnezzar's group of Babylonian captive followers. Let's pick up the story here in chapter 3 of Daniel. The Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together under the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have. Lord, we ask that you help us to learn uh, just what you've put on my heart. Help me to be able to say it, Lord. I ask that you'll just help me to be able to put into words what you put onto my heart. Lord, I ask that you'll just continue to bless, uh, be with our pastor as he's going through some issues now, helping to be a testimony for you, helping to have the wisdom to be able to see and open his eyes that this is for a cause, whatever that cause may be, but help him to to see that, help him to be encouraged, help him to know that people here care for him and love him and, and are praying for him. Lord, we ask that you give him safety on the rest of his trip. Lord, we ask that you'll use your word to speak to our hearts in your name. Amen. See, I just read part of this here. In chapter 3, we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know the story. It's very familiar to us. We all know that at the end of this, they end up going into a fiery furnace. But what I want to concentrate on and what I look at is the beginning part of what happened. See, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits, the Bible says. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Babylon was the main area. It was the central hub for everything that was going on for Nebuchadnezzar. You see, Babylon was a main area there for commerce, for just, I don't know how I was just saying, everything that went on. That was, that was the place. It was like the capital city, even though I don't think Babylon was the capital of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, but it was the major city in that area. And Previous to that, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
they were involved in something that happened with Daniel. Just prior to that, we see that in the previous verses, in verse chapter 2, verse 48, the Bible says, Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors of all wise men of Babylon. Then Daniel requested of the king, and he sent Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these three men, over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they all were here when that golden image was being made. They were all here when that image was set up. They were all here when all these people that the king got together all showed up. Why? They weren't there by choice. They were there because that's what their job was. That's where they were supposed to be. So that's what they did. Now, the image, when we refer to it, a lot of times you'll look at it and you'll hear people talking. And that golden image is set up by King Nebuchadnezzar, right? Well, King Nebuchadnezzar is referred to a lot of times as a picture of the Antichrist. He's referred to as one of the most wicked, despised men of all time in Jewish history. When you think about Nebuchadnezzar, the first thing you think of is torture, torment, bad times to anybody that he came in contact with. I'm not going to go into it, but I have something that I'm working on. It's going to be a little while, but you see at the very end of the whole story of Nebuchadnezzar, at the very end, he becomes a wild man. But he realizes something when he's a wild man. He realizes that God is God. But here, he hasn't realized that yet. He's still in the process. God's still working on him. God's still working on a lot of us. But just so you know, just because Nebuchadnezzar is referred to as the most wicked man in the whole world, God still cares. God still cares for him. God's still working in his life. God's going to bring him to all the way to a point where he realizes that God is the God. There is no other. But I interrupt myself because we're talking about this, the circumstances that we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. They're, they're standing here. They've got a big, giant, golden image that's set up. It's 90 feet tall. A lot of times you don't think about these things. You think 90 feet tall. That's like nine stories high. That's pretty tall. Mike would know how tall that is. He's, you know, 90 feet. That's nine stories tall. It's also nine feet wide. I don't know anybody nine feet tall, let alone nine feet wide. You know, this image is made out of pure gold. So you know when they were out there, they were shining that thing up really good. So that thing, there in the plain, it's going to be seen from miles away. That's the whole purpose of it. So it's huge. And it's standing there in the province of Babylon. And all those important people were gathered together. All those important people. And they just came because the king called them. You need to come see this image that I made. We're going to have a dedication ceremony. Well, that's great. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Nothing wrong with going to a dedication ceremony. People have them for their kids. People have them for, you know, for a church. People have them for a building. They People have Dedication ceremonies for all kinds of stuff. You know, so now all these people are standing there. And I want you to see something because that golden image 
represents something. It represents the sin of the world. That golden image is standing there, bright and shiny and huge and seen from all over the place. And it's a sin of the world. It's bright. It's shiny. It's, it's so attractive. But you see, we have, we have an issue with that. Or we should have an issue with that as Christians. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were there because they had to be. All of us have a job or had a job or we're in circumstances or times where we're in the midst of something. Even if, even if we're retired, we still have choices and we're faced with oppositions. What are you watching on TV? You know, what are you listening to on the radio? What, what are we, what are we doing with our every day? When, when we come up in contact with somebody that we've never met before, what's the first thing that you ask? I'm guilty of this too. We don't ask if they're saved. We don't ask that. It's the last question that we'll possibly ask. If we even get to asking it at all. Why? Because we're afraid. You know, but we're standing there and that sin is all around us. And what we see, the next thing we have here is a call to follow worship. See, that sin doesn't have an effect on you until it calls. There's some things that don't bother me that bother you. There's some things that bother you that don't bother me. There's some things that will draw you in to sin against God that I have no problem with. There's some things that I have a problem with that doesn't affect you at all. You're just kind of like, what are you talking about, man? You're just crazy. See, the call to fall in worship comes in verse 4. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, notice how there's a big pomp and circumstance around all this. You know, when, when sin's talked about or when sin's portrayed, it's always bigger. It's always bigger than what you expect. You know, like, this is great. There's nothing going to be wrong here. It's going to be the best time ever. Or maybe you're just like, there's nothing wrong with this. It's not going to affect me anyway. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to change how I feel about the Lord. It's not going to change how I worship the Lord. I'm still going to go to church Sunday and Wednesday night, Sunday night. But you see... Sin has a problem in that it's always bigger than what you expect. You fall down and worship the golden image and the Nebuchadnezzar the king is set up. So now they have to fall down and worship this image that they were just standing before and admiring. They're like, ooh, wow, this is huge. This is big. This is, this is great. And look how shiny they made. Well, now the king made a proclamation. He made a law. He made a rule that this is what's going to happen. When all the music and all the pomp and the circumstance and all this great stuff starts happening, you're going to fall down and worship this image. And if you don't, verse 6 says, and, those, and whosoever falleth not down and worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Ooh, that's not so good. You know, how many of you want to be in a burning, fiery furnace? Nobody. Nobody wants to be in a burning, fiery furnace. Why? Because it's hot. If you've ever barbecued or you've grilled or you've, you've had a campfire and you've gotten a little too close. I knew a guy, I knew a kid 
from a church that we went to. And he thought he'd have a little fire going. So what he did is he got some gasoline and he poured it all over the fire. You know where this is going. He poured some gasoline all over the fire. And, you know, he let it sit there for a little bit because he was he's smart. You know, it's got to it's got to evaporate a little bit. Right. Before you light it up, because it's gas that you just poured on this on this bunch of wood. So what he does is he takes the match and he throws it onto this. Mind you, this is not just a little campfire. This is a bonfire that he's starting up because he's a you know little punk kid. You know? And anyway, so he he takes this match and he throws it on the fire. And what do you think happens? Pretty much, it explodes in his face. Well, he comes running in, and his dad goes running out, and he's pretty much burnt up all over his face. He ends up being fine, you know, a couple aspirin later and a few weeks later, you know, call him Scorch for a while. And he's all right, better for the lesson. But nobody wants to be in a fire. Nobody wants to be right there where the pavement hits the road and you're the dirt between the tire and the road. Nobody wants to be there. So what do you think you're going to do? When the sin is calling, what are you going to do? Are you going to yield to it? Are you going to stand up and not do it? What are you going to do? But before you answer that question, before you answer it to yourself, let's look at the consequences, the consequences or the cost of the sin. You see, the cost is a little bit more. It doesn't just hurt for a moment and go away. You know, the cost of the sin. In verse 8, the, the Bible tells us, Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. You see, people notice when you don't fall down in worship. People notice. People notice, and you become a target. Why? Because a standing target is a whole lot easier than a sitting one. Gives you more places to aim. If you're a hunter at all, you know that if, if you've got a deer that's facing you, you don't want to shoot him. It's kind of hard to hit a, sh- a scrawny little deer. But if it's broadside, oh, you're in. You know, it's the same way. Satan works the same way. If you're sitting down and you're going along with the group, if you're going along with the flow and you're just making it easy, guess what? You're not going to be a target. Maybe things will come up. Maybe, maybe little problems just, just so he can keep you under his control. That's what he's going to do. But remember, remember, you are a Christian. If you've trusted the Lord as your savior, you're a Christian. If you've acknowledged that Jesus died for your sins, if you've realized that you're a sinner, You've done stuff wrong. We've all done stuff wrong. Every single day we do stuff wrong. Multiple times a day, over and over, we do the same thing wrong. But you know, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, He's paid for your sin. Doesn't mean you'll never sin again. Doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect from here on out. Doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems. It's life. Life is short and full of trouble. You know, so this is just one thing. You become a target. You will become a target. And then we see a little ways down here. It says, uh, let's see, verse 12 says, 
there are certain Jews. Oh wait, oh I gotta I gotta say this before here. So they spake unto the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every they like a bunch of little whiny babies, is what it seems like to me right here. They spake and said unto the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree, like he doesn't know what he said, that every man shall hear the sound of a cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth, that he might be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. What a bunch of little sissy babies. You know? I mean, you just, you know they've already bowed down. They've already done exactly what Nebuchadnezzar told them to do. When this Im- when the music starts playing, bow down and worship. It's not just bow down like I've always been taught. It's fall down. It's not a slow bow oh, and, and get down on your knees. No, it's fall to the ground and worship. You know, that's what sin does to us. That's what sin does to us all the time. It knocks us in the knees and takes us out and we fall to the ground. And what do we do then? Do we cry and whine and, oh, no, our troubles are so tough. God can't help us anymore because we've just been taken out at the knee. You know, they say the best way to take down a big man is to take him out at the knees. That's what I've always been told. You know, my mom said, if I'm ever going to get in a fight, win. This is when I was little. You know, she said, if you're ever going to get in a fight, win. And if your brother's getting in a fight, because it was four of us. She says, if they're in a fight, jump in with them and help them. Hey, that's pretty good Christian living right there. Let me tell you, if if you're in a fight and your Christian brother's right there, they better jump in and help. And I'm not talking a physical fight. We're in a spiritual fight. We're in a fight. I'm I'm not going to kid you. To the death. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to win. Somebody's going to rule your life or they're not going to rule your life. Either God's going to win or Satan's going to win. See, it's a choice. See, we're in a fight. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Oh, you're going to tick some people off if you stay in. You're going to make them mad. You're not going to be all hunky-dory and just be all right with a target. Because if you're a target, you can hide. You can get some camouflage. You can get a group of Christians. You know, and maybe they're not living quite right for the Lord. You know, maybe they're they're tangled up in the world and you're kind of mixing in there. See, you can get camouflaged in a church. You can be camouflaged in a church pretty good. There's some of them, I'm sure, around here. I know, I know of um, at least. Well, I don't even know of any because you know I didn't go there. But I'm sure there's a church around here that you can go to and you can just blend in and and hide and not have to get affected by anything, not have to really do anything. But you know, if you're going to do something for the Lord, if you're going to stand for the Lord. Oh, you're going to tick some people off. You're going to make them mad. They're not just, and I say not just mad because they're not just mad. They're furious. They've got one thing left on their mind, and that's to destroy you. Well, it's not sounding so good. You see, the cost is a pretty high, it's a pretty high cost to stand. Oh, but it's not done. Verse 14. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, 
or he doesn't say now, the Bible doesn't say now, says, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Uh Uh-oh. Now they're standing before the king. Now they've got to answer the question again. You see, a lot of times, I'll say most of the time, it's hard enough to stand the first time. When you're challenged the first time, and now you're confronted face-to-face about it, and they ask you, are you going to do it again? And you say, yes. Or maybe the second time this happens. Or the third time, maybe you're getting drawn up or brought up, you know, for whatever it is. You question the third time. Are you still strong enough to stand? How about the 20th time? I'm preaching to myself here, you know, this is, this is true. How, how willing, how dedicated are you to the Lord that you're going to stand when a standing has to be done? continue on and now now if you be ready that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet flute harp sackbut psaltery and dulcimer and all kinds of music you fall down and worship the image which i have made well it'll be good for you i'm telling you if you fall down now i'm gonna let that first one slide it'll be all right that first sin that you did whatever that was that thing that you're having a problem with the first time i'm gonna let that slide you know i'm you said you weren't going to do it. I'm going to give you another chance. Maybe you just didn't understand how great this was. You see, this sin, this golden image, you don't, maybe you didn't understand how good this is. Come, come, let me show you. I can just imagine him just standing there, you know, just showing him how great things were. And explaining again, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, the one that's in charge, you know, the, the king of the world at that point in time, who, you know, who rules the world. The devil rules the world currently. God's in ultimate control, but the devil's in charge. He's a ruler of this world. <laughs> if God was in control, it sure wouldn't be anywhere close to what we have now. But let me tell you. So Nebuchadnezzar's there, and he's, he says, I'm going to play this again. I'm going to go over the whole thing again, and I'm going to tell you face to face. Maybe you just didn't want to hear it from the, the, the herald or the guy that I told you, or I told to tell you what I said. You hear it directly from me. That's kind of, I was almost tongue-tied there. I was kind of, literally, I really was. But then anyways, so he says, I'm going to tell you again. So he tells them all over again. Now, if you fall down in worship, it's going to do you well. That's what he says. So I'm going to give you another chance to fall in worship, the image that I created. But, If ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And I like this question. I always, I like to study questions that are asked in the Bible. To me, they're almost like rhetorical. You know, um, Pastor Toby was saying, like, God never asks a rhetorical question. These questions that are in the Bible are almost always, to me, they almost seem rhetorical. It says, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Well, who do you think he is? He's God. Who do you think he is? Well, God's going to prove who he is. So we see that a lot of times when we get into something, 
there's usually a bunch of people standing around us. There's usually a bunch of people. There's usually a whole crowd just oohing and on and, wow, this is great. This, this new thing, whatever it is, you know, this image that's been set up. Man, this is pretty. This is nice. Look at all how great this is. And everybody's standing around and they're just looking. But then when the rubber meets the road, people bow and fall. When, when your choice is given, if you stand, you notice they were all standing before. Now there's just three standing. Only three left standing. And that pretty much, you know, I mean, it's a pretty easy target if there's only three of you. I have to ask, are, are we willing to stand? Even though we know the cost. You know, the cost is not a little one. It's a big cost. It, it's going to cost you something if you stand for the Lord. And then we see the conviction to stand. How do you stand? How do you stand and, and continue to stand even when everything else is against you? When everything else is against you, how do you, how do you stand? You see, let me tell you how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood because they had, they had a previous proof. They had previous proof in their life on what God did for them. In verse, or chapter one, way back at the beginning when they were taken captive, we see that in verse 17, the Bible says, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. You see, God blessed them earlier. Why? Because they stood for him. They weren't going to eat the meat of the king and defile themselves. You see, back in those days, the king's meat was the best meat. Well, how could you have two best meat? You know, you got to offer the best meat to your idols. How are you going to have them both? Well, the best meat was offered to the idols, then the king ate it. Because once it's eaten, it's gone. You can't offer it to idols when it's gone. So here... Daniel purposed in his heart that he wasn't going to sin and he wasn't going to eat the meat that was offered idols. So what he did is he brought his friends in with him, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he said, we're not going to eat. Prove it. And that's what they did. And God proved them and blessed them. And in turn, that was a nail driven down into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and Daniel to say, hey, you know what? God is real. He'll be there when you're in trouble. Then we also see in chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible says, chapter 2, verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the things known unto Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we know them, that they should desire mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. See, they pr- prayer, prayer pr- proved it. So it's your previous experiences, things that God has brought you through, things that you've seen and experienced. And it's your prayer life that helps you to become strong, that you can stand. If you don't have a prayer life, ooh, you're 50%. 50%'s not good. And if you don't have a prayer life and you don't have anything to hang your hat on, no prior experience. We wonder why so many new Christians fail. We wonder why. See, that again is that group of Christians. If you see your brother fighting, jump in, help him. 
A lot of times we don't do that. And you know what? Let them fight a little bit before you jump in. Let them get whooped a little before you go in there and help. It'll make them stronger. I mean, it's the same thing. You know, same thing. Anyways, that's a little side note there. So our present fellowship. Present fellowship. Let me see here. This is a good one here. Proverbs 13:20. Everybody pretty much familiar with, with that verse. He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. If you hang around people that are a bunch of who cares what happens, then what do you think you're going to be like? Who cares what happens? There is no cost to sin. It's all good. God loves everybody. Yes, he does. But he's not going to let you do whatever you feel like doing. Just like before I got saved, God tried multiple times. I'm sure he did in your life, too. He tried multiple times, and they progressively got worse and worse and worse to get you to trust in the Savior. What's it going to take? Your friends are an encouragement to you. They can either be an encouragement or they can be a detriment. They'll either help you be stronger or they'll destroy you as fast as they can because they got to make themselves feel better. Remember, it's not just your previous proofs, but it's also your present fellowship. That's how you stand. But lastly, in the, it's the preserved word. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had a very definite command from God. Let's look at it real quick. Exodus, the book of Exodus, it's all the way back to Exodus chapter 20. Yes, Exodus chapter 20 says, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So we see a couple things that they were already told to disobey against God's word. Thou, in, chapter, in verse 5, thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting iniquity in the fa- or of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You see, we have the preserved word as our foundation. So you not only have the conviction to stand, if you have the conviction to stand, you've got it by three different ways. You've got it from your past experiences. You've got it by your present fellowship, those people that you hang around with. And you have it by the word of God. Without those three things, you're not going to make it. You're not going to stand. You can't. We're only human. We're not going to be able to stand. Imagine if someone told you. Now, just imagine you're not allowed to come to church because we're having a quarantine. Everybody's locked down. You can't leave. What are you going to do? I know what we did. Everybody shut down. As far as I know, every church shut down for at least a week. We're not going to have services for you. You can't. What's it going to take? 
who thinks that the king has rule over God? There comes a point you gotta, what's it gonna take for you to stand? What's it gonna take for you to fall, I should say? Or are you not gonna stand? Or are you not gonna fall? Let me tell you, if you do stand, if you do stand, verse 25, the Bible says, the king answered and said to Daniel, oh wait, I'm in the wrong place. Gotta go to chapter 3. Verse 25. Chapter 3, verse 25, the Bible says, he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the fourth, or the form of the fourth, is like the Son of God. You see, if you stand, God is with you. If you stand, God is with you. We're faced with sin, and it's huge, and it's bright, and it's shiny, and it's in our face every single day. If you don't have, if you don't have that conviction to stand, if you don't have that, you know, buckle down and I'm, I'm just not going to move, the love for the Lord, then you're going to fall every single time. You're going to fall every single time. If you wonder why things just keep on happening to you, maybe because you're not standing for the Lord. Maybe you're not standing for the Lord. Or maybe the Lord's trying to smack you around a little bit to help you to realize that he wants you to do something that you're not doing. But also in verse 28, and I'll close with this, then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to deliver his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language that speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. And then he goes on. But Nebuchadnezzar realized something. Say, so wait a minute. He's already seen how Daniel's God did something. But this is the same God now he's realizing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have. It's a progression through his life. As you follow through Daniel, you'll see in those first few chapters how Nebuchadnezzar came from a wicked, despicable man all the way through to a point where, in my thought, trusted the Lord and realized that he needed him. You see, God doesn't care about those people that we care about. God cares about every single person. You see, we can just care about one or two. We can just be concerned about with our little group. But God cares about all of them. He even cared about the most wicked man that you could say probably ever lived. That's recorded in the Bible. And probably, I would say, anywhere. How much do we care? How much do we care not only about the, the world around us, but how much do we care to stand for the Lord as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Everybody's head bowed and everybody's eyes are closed. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had. Lord, we thank you for this message that we've heard. Lord, I just ask that you'll use it somehow. I, I don't know how, but I just ask that you'll use it. Speak to people's hearts. If there's someone here that is, has been 
touched by by you, and because I know it wasn't by me, Lord, I ask that you'll just have them get right with you. Whether that means that they come forward and they get it right or they do it right there in the seat. I know it's just a matter of heart, so it doesn't matter to me which way they do it. I just ask that you'll just help them to, to get right with you. Help them to make a determination in their life. If they are standing, to continue to stand. And if they are continuing to stand and they see someone working or hurting and, and fighting the battle, help them. Help them to jump in and help. Strengthen them. Help them to stand for you, Lord. Lord, these times are coming close. We see you coming quickly. We ask that you come quickly for us, Lord, in your name. Amen.